0: Hey, listeners, before I get into this episode, I have a quick ask to make. I started this podcast as a research project on how to be a top individual contributor in the product design space. My goal for the show was to learn what it takes to be an individual contributor that's doing amazing, impactful work that they love doing day in and day out and getting paid top dollar while they do it. Becoming that type of individual contributor is the ultimate job security. With close to 100 hours of interview recordings, This has naturally led to the creation of the short-form video articles that synthesize my learnings into 10-minute listens of actionable content. You might recognize these as my morning walk episodes or the hashtag shorts episodes. To my surprise, those episodes have been very well received and listeners have enjoyed the synthesis of what I've learned. This has led to the next chapter of my research project, which is beginning to synthesize what I've learned into a new newsletter called Thinking Out Loud About Design, that you can subscribe to right now for free. Thinking Out Loud About Design is an email newsletter and podcast that basically contains all my synthesis from my long form interviews. It's pure, distilled learnings that you can apply to your career immediately. This content is for you if you are a couple years into your career and you're trying to make that move from mid level to senior designer and senior designer to staff designer. I mainly focus on becoming high performing individual contributors in the product design industry. A free subscription gives you full access to the newsletter, podcast episodes, and website. You will not have to worry about missing anything because every new edition of the newsletter goes directly into your inbox. So my ask is this, if you have gotten any value out of the way of product design or if it's helped you in any way or someone you know, please subscribe to Thinking Out Loud About Design and get the distilled learnings on being a staff level individual contributor. You can find a link to the newsletter in the show notes of every episode of this podcast and on my LinkedIn page. Just look up Caden Damiano. Thanks again for listening and supporting the way of product design. I wouldn't be doing this if you guys weren't listening. Now, on to the show. Welcome to the way of product design. I'm Caden Damiano. We know design is valuable, but how can you unlock its true value? and tie your design work to business impact. This show interviews product designers, product managers, and tech leads from places like Google, Domo, Divi, IBM, Intuit, and Uber to find out what makes a valuable product designer and how you can be one as well. I have the VP of Ex- User Experience at JPMorgan Chase, Sybil Molakwa. Um, Sybil, can you just introduce yourself to the audience and, well, the listener specifically? Talk like it's a one-on-one scenario and uh, just talk about your journey and like how you got to where you are and what you're doing right now.
1: Yeah, happy to. Thank you for that, Caden. Uh, my name is Sybil Malacqua and I currently work at Chase um, where I lead a design team in building uh, mobile products, um, banking products that help users um, you know, look at their credit card, see what's going on with their credit card, check their balances, uh, check their spending, etc. cetera. Um, and so I've been doing this for about a year. Actually, um, my year anniversary is in July. So that's just like in a couple of weeks, which is crazy uh, to think about it. Um, and before that, I was uh, working at a company called Alchemy Technology, which was based on um, you know, building banking software for credit unions and regional banks. Um, and then before that, I worked at Intuit, um, learned a ton at Intuit. That was one of those companies that was just kind of pivotal in my development and education when it comes to design and customer being customer-centric and measurement, et cetera. Um, and then prior to that, I was actually uh, living and working in Washington, D.C., um, where I worked at a couple of agencies there, one of those being huge and another one being uh, RTC, but it got bought out by Wonderman. Um, so, you know, I have a kind of a broad range of design um, industries and different things of that nature and projects that I've worked on. And then prior to that, I had a whole other separate career doing quality assurance analysis um, for different software companies, um, which, was, again, was very rewarding. I got to do learning management software. Um, I got to test, uh, you know, customer facing websites, different things of that nature. So it's, it's been an interesting ride, but I've always been a designer. And so, you know, finding my Finding my way into design was, I believe it was inevitable and I'm super grateful for it because I actually really love what I do, which a lot of people can't say that. So yes, hats off to that.
0: Yeah. Best job I've ever had. Um, cool. Well, I think let's jump into it. Um, make make the most out of this time. Um, so actually, I, I just looked at your one of your most recent posts on LinkedIn and it says that I expect a number the number of cxos or chief experience officers to increase now more than ever along with a deeper understanding of what it make what it what makes a good cxo and measure, measurable results that prove their value um so you're definitely on that path towards cxo but what is what is uh tell me what's keeping a uh, design from making it to that level, like what's preventing us from making that reality happen more, like having more chief experience officers?
1: Yeah, I think honestly, it's, it's you know, and, and this is just kind of something that I've been really interested in, um, you know, for quite some time now is, is just measurement and showing the business value. Um, I remember, you know, previous companies that I've worked at that we've, we've had folks um, that were data scientists and they would bring the numbers and we had marketing folks so they would bring the insights. And, you know, we had product people, which would bring, you know, metrics on, of all different types of, 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 of measurements. And one thing that they all did was they tied it all back to the value that they were bringing to the business. Um, and that's where I think that, you know, design is is struggling a little bit is that we're, we're, we're measuring things like delight and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but measuring things like delight, things that are a little bit more uh, squishy or nebulous in nature, it's really hard to translate that to, okay, well, how is this impacting the business? Um, so for me, it's, you know, getting a seat at that table with, you know, and I've worked at companies where, where that's been the case. where you had design all the way up to the, to the highest levels of the organization um, in, in leadership. Um, but for me, it's, it's really understanding the value that we bring as designers to the bottom line. Um, whatever that bottom line might be. Like we might be trying to, you know, reduce uh, phone calls into a support center. Like if we make the experience simpler and we make it easier for users to engage with our products and complete what they're trying to do and, you know, get their job to be done completed, um, then we are adding to the bottom line and being able to draw a direct line from the work that we're doing to the results that are being measured and tying that to business outcomes. I believe that's what's really, really holding us back from getting um, a seat at the table with you know, with a design perspective. Um, and then too, it's, it's, you know, as we start to gain critical mass as a function and as a, um, you know, as a discipline, um, I believe there's going to be a time where, you know, it's just gonna be inevitable that you're gonna have, you know, someone that was a designer or aspires to be a designer or is really in love with design that's gonna be sitting at that table that's gonna be able to bring that, that executive championship um, into, you know, into the forefront to bring design to the table. Cause I t- personally believe that designers have, you know, just the keys to the kingdom. And we, we have so much insight in the way that we think and how we're so strategic and all these different um, qualities that, you know, designers have It would be so beneficial for any business to, to take advantage of. So, you know, I think it's just going to be a matter of time, you know, as well as really proving our business value before we get that seat at the table.
0: Uh, I was chatting with JB Tchaikowski. um, and he's uh, in an earlier episode of this new season, so you'll get to be in the same season as him. Awesome dude. But he talks about how designers need to decide if they want to work in the business or on the business. And I think that's really good insight. That Do you want to be working in the business, like working on the craft and pushing the pixels and making sure the designs are like well executed and at high quality? or do you want to work on the business like improve the business model improve the offering do you think that if you really want to make a business impact in your career like does that mean leaving craft for good and learning how to design business
1: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's a great question and and i love it because when you look at designers, um, you know a lot of times we talk about the the T shaped designer and, and this designer that knows you know like visual design very well. And then there's some designers, you know, that are focused more on delivery and like the fine tuning of the design and getting it to the right place. Um, but then you've also got designers that are strategists. They're big thinkers. You know, they're they're going to t- they have to take the business needs into account in order to deliver. Um, you know, in order to help other teams deliver the the value that they're you know that they're been that they've been asked and entrusted quite frankly, by the business to deliver. So, you know, I think it's, it's gonna depend because, you know, for me personally, when you look at, uh, you know, a double diamond, I mean, I very quickly, you know, I got into design, I learned the craft, I learned delivery, you know, learned all the tools. And I very quickly started to naturally gravitate towards the left-hand side of the di- uh, the diamond, which is the discovery phase. Like, I wanna know why things are happening. And it's not that I'm not a designer, it's just I'm exercising a different muscle as I work, you know, to, to benefit the the business and the customers, because you know that's that's how we that's how we exist. You know, if we're not adding to the bottom line, it's kind of like, well, well, why are you here? We can, you know, and, and we know in our bones like why we're there, but it's it's we've got to be able to communicate that. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily leaving the craft; it, it might be more leading the craft. Like, hey, this is what we're trying to do, the problem we're trying to solve, the segment we're trying to hit, the you know the business metric we're trying to improve, etc., and bringing that to the people that actually really love to get in there and do the mechanics so you know I think it for designers I mean there is an opportunity to be full stack in the sense that you know all the disciplines but you're going to naturally gravitate in, in one direction I believe um, and it's not to say that you can't do them all but as you're going to naturally gravitate and so you know the the business of leading business I think is definitely you know a new frontier well new ish frontier for designers and there's definitely a lot of room um, for improvement there Does that answer your question
0: yeah um no it it gives me another question um then that means you know there is like definitely like a movement i think with any uh any movement it's more of a pendulum swing towards the extreme like oh designers should become business learn more about business and stuff but does that mean all designers should learn about business or should all designers really double down on their specialties right? It's, should we ask all designers to understand business?
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, all designers have to learn code. If you don't know how to code, you're not a good designer, you know? So I'm just like, I mean, it, we can't say that all designers are, are are going to 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 learn business that that's not at all the case. I and mean, I don't feel like every designer needs to know the business you know inside and out like they should, you know they're probably not going to be in there you know hacking it up with the finance team talking about the p and l's you know I mean they may I don't know if that's your jam go for it but um, I, I think it's definitely one of those things where you know, you're going to be, you need to have like a little bit of knowledge. It's not to say that you can go in there and, you know, like hack it up or whatever. For example, um, I know HTML, I know CSS, the very basics. So I can go in there and I say, okay, I can look at the code and kind of sort of tell what's going on. Um, but you know, I've still been able to grow my design career and improve in areas that I wanted to improve in, but I don't know how to write code. I can read it. Okay. But it's, you know, like it's, so I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, it's definitely going to be, if that's your jam and you love business, like there's definitely a place to be a designer and be a design focused, uh, uh, sorry, a business focused designer as well.
0: So it's more about focus rather than what, what makes a good designer, like trying to put a definition on it. I think that's a mistake I made earlier in the earlier seasons of this podcast is I was trying to create the archetype of what is a great product designer. But now I'm noticing that um, it's just such a broad field and there's so many interesting things that could f- fill up your day. I mean, business strategy could take is a full-time job. Um, motion design by itself, just doing micro-interactions could take up your whole week. And now it's less about and for me, I've been very biased towards like, well, okay, how do you create business impact? Right. Uh, but now (laughs) I need to like rein it back and be like, okay, well, um, business, like being more involved in the business is more of a specialty as a designer rather than a necessity. Right. Because not all designers go in for business. They do it Because they get to make things. And get paid. Um, But. But. uh, But let's. Let's focus on the listeners. Who are interested in going into that executive route. Right. So they've made the decision. That eventually they're going to. Leave the craft from on the day to day. And focus more on. Being more involved in the business. As a decision maker. So. Actually, you mentioned P and Ls. Do you actually get to look at the P and Ls at your
1: level? <laughs> Depends on the company. Um, yeah. So, for example, where I'm at right now, like, there's literally no way. Like, I mean, we, we get to see it for our specific product, but it's not. It's not the the level of depth and detail. I mean, Chase is just massive. Like. I don't even know who I would contact, quite honestly, to look at that. But at previous companies, you know, I did get to look at uh, not necessarily the P&Ls, but just um, like, you know, how much money is being generated by, you know, XYZ, you know, uh, feature, Um, you know, this is how much we spent on development. This is how much we spent on design. And this is the net net of, w- of what we had uh, come out of that. So, you know, it's not to say that I'm well versed or, you know, I'm not going to get into finances as, as my next uh, my next career. But um, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, having those conversations and being able to know like, hey, this is how much this widget costs. And this is, you know, this is what we clear on this on this widget and trying to bring that down to designer speak, uh, not bring it down, but bring it over. I would say it's not, it's not that you're dumbing down the conversation. It's just saying like, Hey guys, like, listen, like, I know we want to do, you know, this, this feature, but we've got to understand we've got, you know, this amount of time, this amount of resources to be able to do this. This is what it's going to cost. And is this actually going to get us to where we want to be? So, you know, for me, it's not about having these technical conversations, but it's when these conversations do come up, like being able to contribute and being able to understand what's going on like nobody's looking for me to lead a conversation on, you know, corporate finance. (laughs) Nobody's going to invite me on that podcast. Let's put it that way. But you know, when I am in the room and these conversations come up, then it's definitely something that, you know, I want to be able to contribute to and then actually be able to engage in that conversation. Um, so yeah, so it, it depends. I think it, it's gonna depend largely on the company you're at. You know, when I was working at smaller startups, then yeah, they would bring in the finances, like you know, town hall. They bring in the finances, and if you had questions, you could go talk to the CFO because he was literally right down the hall, and you could have a question and say like, hey, I want to understand, like you know, when we write a deal, what does that deal look like for the customer? You know, what's what are they getting out of it? What add-ons are they putting in there? What things are we taking out? So it was more it's more just kind of anecdotal, I would say, but it's definitely still something that, you know, cause I'm still on the path, quite honestly, like I'm not gonna pretend like I know everything about business, but you know, I'm definitely on the path of understanding and, and, and learning, um, you know, about it more as we go. Cause I look at it like a journey. You're not gonna, like, I'm not gonna be there tomorrow. You know, but as I read more articles, as I you know understand more, as I ask more questions, more probing questions, um, you know, to finance you know folks that I wouldn't necessarily work with on a day to day craft of things, um, then I'm just I'm learning more. And it's just like wow, you know what? That's actually kind of cool. I get why we why you made this decision or how this impact um, you know affected different lines of business.
0: Tell me about a time where you had a Tell me about a time where you had your best execution of a business initiative from the executive level, and you translated it to the design level to, down to like individual contributors.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, tons of, tons of that. Um, you know, when I worked at Alchemy, so Alchemy is a smaller company. And so we were more, I mean, it just by the nature of it being so small, I mean, you definitely had a lot of cross-pollination, um, with the business outcomes and the business goals. Um, so one specific thing that we, uh, project that, that i like to, you know, talk about because it was, I mean, it was super impactful was, um, we were working on the login experience. Um, and the reason why we were working on the login experience is because, um, we had set up, um, a specific tool to measure customer satisfaction and, and you know, you know, completion rate of, of logging into to our software. And basically our software, um, when you looked at the login, what they did was they kind of tacked on a bunch of features and functionality, so it kind of slowed it down, yada, yada, et cetera. And so we had a bunch of um, you know, credit union executives coming to our team and saying, hey, like we're noticing that this, this is not working, this is not functioning as it should. Um, so being given that, like, Hey, we know that login's a problem, what are we going to do about it? Um, so, you know, I was able to organize a team, um, you know, cause at that point I was still, you know, working, you know, as, as a, as a researcher. Um, and so we were able to organize a team. Um, and what I did was I got together a cross-functional team. So it was research, design, um, architecture, web development, sorry, front-end development and mobile development. And so we were able to take this problem and go and tackle it as a team together on-site with a customer. And then within three months, because we had the right people in the room, the right decision makers in the room, within three months, we were able to deliver it Um, and get it out into production within, you know, like to all of our customers, they had it in their hands. And then like, I would say it it took a couple of months, but we saw such a, such an increase and a shift in in the customer satisfaction around that specific um, function. Um, And then it became one of those stories that our executives told to other executives as they went and did sales pitches about how we worked as an organization. So, um, you know, it was, it wasn't anything that was, you know, it was it was causing customer satisfaction issues for our customers, our customers' customers. So it was a B to B to C. Um, but being able to be aware of the problem, identify the issue, get the right people in the room, you know, motivate them to work on this as a project, and actually get it delivered in three months' time, which is unheard of, uh, because it was such a high priority. Um, it's unheard of, but it was you know we were able to do it and deliver it, and it was it's still one of those success stories that stands today. So. Um, yeah. And then from, from an executive perspective, you know, at Chase, again, it's, it's just a larger organization. Um, so right now, one of the things that they watch really closely is the JD power, um, uh, survey that goes out, so you know JD Power. They do this annual survey or what have you. Um, and so one of the things that you know we were trying to improve was we were trying to improve our standing on on JD Power. Um, and so what does that look like for? And it was the way that they kind of segmented out. Uh, we were talking specifically for mobile, specifically for card, credit cards. Um, and so you know they take a look at all the competitors out there. JD Power, they're like a neutral, you know, objective third party, so they're just you know on the outside looking in. Um, Um, And so, I mean, we were able to see like, hey, there's a bunch of little things that we can change to improve the experience. Um, Because JD Power, have you ever seen a JD Power report and how they kind of break it down? Um, I've never
0: seen one. I just, I just hear them talked about in car Mm -hmm. commercials.
1: Yeah. They do credit cards as well, like mobile apps. Um, So it's really interesting because the way they break it down is they give you a couple of different insights, which are trailheads that you can follow. Um, So one of the things that might be, you know, like, you know, they'll say like, you know, X percent of users said, you know unclear directions on how to activate, you know, a, a, an offer or whatever. Um, and so it kind of, when you get that, that trailhead, it gives you a way to kind of follow it and, and pursue down that path. Um, and so we, we did that with one of the, one of the programs that I'm working on. It's not, it's not a project, but it's a, a program. And the whole entire purpose of that program was to increase, you know, the, our score and get us to lift up on that, um, on that JD power, uh, JD Power ranking. And I'm happy to to announce that we did. Uh, We did move up on JD Power rankings, which was good. But it wasn't, you know, this big, massive, like, hey, we've got to change everything. It's just like, how do we go in there and how do we tool these little things? And how do we change this? And how do we change it? How do we make it easier to understand? How do we, you know, make it easier to complete the jobs that users are trying to get done? So it wasn't some massive, like, we need to redo the entire web app. Like, wasn't that? It was more just little tweaks and little adjustments along the user journey. Um, to help users complete the tasks that they're trying to do.
0: Yeah, I see like two different levels of like digital transformation. There's uh, identifying like systematic issues, which is a little bit of like an overhaul. Um, And I'd love to hear if you've had that experience where it's not like a little tweak. But on the other side, there is is like the uh, leverage points. There's like the... I think it's called uh, the designer fund. So the VC company that funds like design led startups, like, and they had a talk about, about leverage points where um, you did the research to find like that point of leverage and um, doing the work to actually like find like, okay, well, what's this, like the, what's, what's this one thing that we could, focus in on that's going to have like a disproportionate amount of value and that works pretty well in startups when the code base is fresh Uh, um, but uh, I I want to hear about time where it maybe isn't as fresh um, and you don't have the uh, luxury to make little high leverage changes because there might have been some uh, neglect in the system design in an earlier version of the product?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm trying to think of, you know, a time when we just redid everything. Um, That's a great question. And I would say, depending on how your organization feels about innovation and, and what type of tech stack they have, um, this may or may not um, be an opportunity that you can take, for example. Um, so I'm thinking of a couple different projects. So one of the ones that I worked on when I was at Intuit was um, we were trying to help Accountants um, be able to, because we, we figured out through research and just understanding, you know, what are their pain points, what are things that they'd like to solve, and what are the things that, um, you know, tax accountants wanted to solve was being able to get their documents from their clients quicker. Um, pardon me. And so, during tax season as you can imagine i mean it's just it's it's just crazy mail is flying back and forth people are dropping things off there's all these different ways that people deliver um deliver their documentation to the accountant to get their their taxes done. And so, you know, we embarked on like basically a tax season long project trying to understand how we could improve that and how we could fix that and actually make it work better. Um, and so we actually started a, a new program, completely new is a new application, sorry, a new product. Um, and so what that looked like was, I mean, we knew that there was a problem to be solved. And so we were able to solve it um, I mean, it wasn't a quick thing by any stretch of the imagination, but the way that the, the tech stack worked it into it was they were really heavily focused on microservices. Um, and so it, it wasn't that we were coming into some you know crazy unknown environment. It was like, we have all the pieces to put everything together. And so we were able to kind of build everything on microservices and tying together you know existing product technology um, so we didn't have to rewrite. So there's repeatable um, snippets of code that we could leverage in order to be able to deliver on. That. Um, And so, you know, we were able to deliver, and then I think we got to a place where, you know, we helped improve their their time to gather documents by 30%. I mean, that was a legal claim that we could make. And so, you know, we put that on the website and I think the product still exists today. It's called Intuit Link. I'm not really sure, I'd have to go back and check, but um, but yeah, so that was a time where, you know, there wasn't even an environment. And so we had to kind of come up with it together as a team, you know, with a tech team and product and design and, and come up with, um, you know, come up with, with this whole entire new product. There have been other times where, I mean, quite honestly, you know, big failures um, where it's just like, hey, we're going to rethink this entire you know, admin interface. And so, you, you know, if you've seen admin interfaces, you know there's all kinds of stuff in, in, in there. And, you know, the team, uh, the design team, you know, we knew that it was broken. We knew it was broken. The tech team knew it was broken. They're like, yeah, it's broken. Like, it's just a junk drawer. Like, you know, let's not even spend the time on that. But, you know, the design team decided we were going to take a look at that and actually work on that as a project. And so we were able to redesign everything on the, the front facing uh, interface of that, that, that our, that our business customers used. Um, but long story short, uh, the, the tech wouldn't support what we were designing. And so we didn't get a chance to build it. So there's a beautiful, you know, set of sketch files that are sitting on a, and it's all customer backed. Like this is what the customers wanted, but the tech was not able to support it. So, I mean, it sucks, but it's a reality. And, you know, we went into it thinking like, Hey, let's change the world. Um, but then, you know, when it came down to the nuts and bolts of what was actually existing and, and what was feasible, um, it just it didn't make the cut. And plus, there was a ton of bugs that they wanted to fix, which they still to this day, I think, are trying to fix those bugs. So I'm like, well, at a certain point, you guys should just probably scrap it and start all over. But it is what it is.
0: Um, what's, what are the things or thing uh, thing that you regret not doing in that project? <sighs>
1: Well, you know, it's funny because we had, and I think it's hard to answer. So I, I think with that one, you know, we were kind of, um, you know, we let the, the dev teams know what we were doing. Um, but when it was all said and done, I mean, business took precedence in the sense that, you know, and this was a company that was more focused on tech debt and getting driving down bugs. Cause it was like every release, there was just more bugs. Like it was just bugs upon bugs because the way that the back end was built was such a Cluzy situation, and quite honestly, I don't know if there, if I, I don't know, like, if, if we would have had a, I mean, I guess I would go back in time and you know, rebuild the architecture that that's how I would have fixed that. But um, there really wasn't a simple answer. It's just kind of like, well, hey guys, I mean, this is great. We love that you did this. And we brought them along on the journey. So the tech team knew that we were doing that. But when it was all said and done, you know, what weighed heavily was like, we've got to get our bugs and our defects down because we, I mean, you know, if the house is on fire, like, you know, we're not going to have time to go, you know, wallpaper the bathrooms, like the house is on fire. (laughs) So it was, I don't know. It was just, the whole situation was just kind of unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have any good lessons learned from that one. <laughs> I wish I was a developer some days. I really do.
0: Well, I think that's like the difference between like entrepreneur or an employee, right? It's you have to be able to go through like those messy couple of years, uh, putting out those fires first before you could actually innovate. Um, and uh, us as designers, uh, we're not exactly wired to stick something out. Like wait, 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 wait two two years to finally get to design a good experience. I mean, that's that's definitely like a big investment of time. But um, yeah, you ha- you almost have to be like obsessed with the problem. But yeah, it sounded like a really tough situation. I I, I was just I was just curious to hear like what maybe could have been approached, but it just sounds like it needed more time.
1: Yeah, more, more time. And, and, and I think, you know, at a certain point, you know, you've either just got to cut your losses or, or just say like, Hey, like this isn't working. Like how can we shift and how can we be brave enough to make that shift? Cause you know, if your development team is telling you like, Ooh, this is, this is not going to work. Um, and, and, they tell you all the reasons why it can't work and we can see it can't work and the, like, it's working for nobody, you know, at a certain point, I'm just like, okay, when do you just scrap it and say like, Hey, we're just going to get a tiger team. We're going to redo it or however you manage those types of, of large scale changes in an organization, you know, to me, it's just like, are, are you going to keep nursing this sick patient? Um, I mean, I guess that's a choice, but it, it just was one of those things where I'm just like, ah. Like everybody knows it's like, everybody knows it's broken and nobody has any intention of fixing it. Hmm. Maybe you should know.
0: have just suggested that you kill it.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like, just, uh, put I it mean, down.
0: Well, it all makes me think that like, if maybe, maybe if design came up with like a, an alternative solution that could replace mm-hmm. that, maybe that would have helped. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely not, you could pontificate about what happened, but, yeah. um, yeah, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough uh, one. Yeah, it is a tough one. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, designers out there that do see this trend towards more uh, design leadership and in, in executive capacities, especially like the CXO role. Right. Um, so have you ever read the book? How will you measure your life? By Clayton
1: Christensen? No, but I am familiar with Clayton Christensen. Yeah. Uh,
0: He wrote a book about kind of like the metrics we use to measure success in life. Um, one One of the big things is like, okay, well, are people, are you measuring your life by the brands you are working at? Like he went to Harvard Business School and he went to like a reunion um, and looked at like all the people that were in his class, actually one of the, his classmates in, uh, Harvard business school was, uh, the CEO of Enron. Uh, so he didn't make it to the reunion for obvious reasons. Um, but, uh, he, he was, but he is talk, he had this story of, um, the black and Decker CEO who went to, um, who at the time was like the youngest CEO of a fortune, like 500 company. And he, he went to like an Ivy League business school and all his classmates were going to, you know, Wall Street and like New York and stuff like that. But he reframed his career trajectory to be like, hey, I want to get that CEO job. If I go to New York, it's too much competition. And this is how he framed his career. He, he said, like, what courses do I need to take to become a CEO and so he's like, well, one, I need to actually like have like I need to run a business, you know, at a high level. So he goes to this like mine in Canada, <laughs> and all and all, and, you know, just obscure job. And all his and his, and all his classmates are like, what are you doing? Like you, you don't go to like Harvard, <laughs> to get a job there, right? Um, but every move as he charted his career towards that goal of eventually being a CEO was what courses do I need to take? What lessons do I need to learn to fit into this role? Um, And so like what, in your opinion, just based off what you've learned, you know, being in a VP role um, like what lessons do you think, a designer needs to learn as they're moving into the executive realm. Like they're leaving individual contributor. They're even le- like leaving, like managing individual contributors and they're going above that in hierarchy.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good question. And, and for me, you know, I think the the big thing is, is like, you, you've got to be really intentional about what you're doing. And so that's why I really like the story that you're telling. It's, you know, yeah, sure, you can stumble into it and, you know, surprise, wake up one day. And But how often does that happen? I, I don't think that happens very often. Um, and so, you know, looking back at, at my career and what I've done, I had a specific um, HR person they kind of took me under her wing and gave me a lot of really great sage advice that I wish somebody would have given to me earlier. Someone, one, you got to figure out like what do you like? What do you want to do? Who are you? What do you want to do? What does what does success look like for you? Um, you know, some people are totally happy, you know, doing the craft and and just kind of you know coming up with new and exciting ways and and you know thinking of you know, different interaction patterns, etc., whatever. And some people are, you know, really focused on like, I need to be at the top. I've got to be the boss. Um, so really understanding where you're at and then understanding that it's going to change over time. Like, you know, there was a time in my life where I was just like, man, I just want to keep my head down and just grind. Like, cause I just felt like there was so much respect in that. Like, I just felt like, wow, you know, like I look at you know the people that that are doing design that I really admired, and it's just like, man, they've been doing this for years, and here I am, this you know new person to design. Like, how do I you know get that level of respect? Um, and so, you know, really focusing on on such things as like executive presence. You know, if you, and again, depends on the company and where you're at and where you want to go. But you know, if you show up to work looking like you just rolled out of bed, but you're the best designer that that ever you know walked into that office. Chances are super likely that they're not going to put you in front of customers. They may, or in front of clients, they may, but you know, like, you know, what, what is it, what does executive presence mean? Like, are you studying what executive presence means? Are you working on your communication craft? Are you working on your influence intentionally? Not just like, dang it, I blew it. And then, you know, like I, I remember, you know, I'm thinking of one of the designers that I had on my team, you know, um, couple years ago, I told him, I'm like, listen, before you go in there and present to executives, you need to practice. Could not be bothered to be practicing. Like still to this day, still don't think he practices what he gets up and says. And he's always like, oh, I sounded like such an idiot. I'm like, I don't know how many times I got to tell you that you have to practice because executives are not, they don't care about all the work that you've done. They don't care about, you know, the three weeks of research. It's just like, what's the bottom line? Where does it hit and how can I help? Um, You know, and so, you know, going in and having these vanity slides, it's just like, oh, here's a picture of us having pizza with a development team. I'm like, okay, when you're presenting to a specific type of person or role, this works. When you're coming to talk to executives, this does not work. You know, I, I I think it's great that you had pizza with the team. That's great. But like, put that in the appendix. You know, I want to know how is this going to affect the bottom line? How is this impacting, you know, our product? Um, how is this impacting our customers at a very high and succinct level? So there's all these different things that you've got to think about. And I would say, you know, a majority of this falls on your soft skills. You know, if you don't have your soft skills and if you're not practicing those things like, you know, emotional intelligence, um, can you read a room? Do you know when to shut up? Um, these things are all super critical and important, um, and you know it's something that executives are looking at because you know when when someone comes in the room, we want to know that if we put you in front of a customer, that you're not going to lose that business, and you're not going to be offensive, and you're not going to you know just completely tank the business. You probably know your stuff backwards and forwards, hundred percent. Like I, you know, I, most of the designers that I talk to, they know their stuff and they know the work that they've done to get there, but they're not super um, in, intentional about getting to that next level, because they're just like, well, if I work hard enough, I'll get there. I'm like, no, 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 that's not the case. So, it, and it's not even to say that, you know, courses or books or whatever, like all of that is 100% important, and it's, it's a given, you have to do that. But you also have to be really, really intentional about executive presence, what it means, your communication style, influence, office politics. Sucks, but it's a necessity. Um, you got to know how politics work. you got to know the culture of the business, et cetera. So, I mean, I would say it's more focused on soft skills, like definitely still, you know, still use the tools and do the hard skill type of stuff. But at the same time, so you've got to be, you know, focused on those soft skills.
0: Yeah, I noticed that I think as an individual contributor, I've definitely had these moments where, um, I feel like I should be valued more because of all the hard work I'm doing, right? And uh, and uh, it's another thing JB said. It's like you'll never be ever like appropriately compensated for your time. Like, <laughs> 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 like you'll that's ne- so <laughs> true. Like you'll never be like actually like dollar amount tied to like the actual value you create unless you own the business, right? Um, so, but one thing that I've learned because, uh, you know, there, there's, there, there are designers or product people that are definitely undercompensated that provide a ton of value and do a lot of hard work. But there's also a lot of the inverse people that are, are overvalued. Like you pay them that much, you have that big of a salary and but you know you know where that's the same as the stock market, right? There's companies that are overvalued. there's companies that are undervalued. And so it's less, I think like going into the executive realm, where it's y- y- your work and its tie to business outcomes gets tenuous, the higher up you get, right? Um, it's more about your stock price, right? Like how do you how do you raise your stock price? as a designer and it's not showing pictures of you eating pizza with the devs and pictures of you doing design sprints with post-it notes on the wall and you guys going like you know this like holding (laughs) holding your chin and looking at the wall thinking you know it's it's it there's a whole different set of activities like your stock price does not actually reflect your actual value it reflects your perceived value yes Right, mm-hmm. and I think that's where you get the cush dream jobs. Right, is mm-hmm. you, you ha- you up the perceived value because if you have a higher stock price, that means you have more resources put mm-hmm. towards you, and if you're actually good at your job, that means it magnifies your ability to impact business outcomes. It all it also means like if you're bad at your job, your high stock price magnifies your ability to waste resources. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. so like what. What are some things that you did that really like lifted your stock price?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, it's it's del- delivering results and tying those back to the business, like bringing hard metrics. And I know that is just like what, because um, when it's all said and done, I'm not the the best visual designer. I know that I'm okay with that. Don't enjoy it. Someone else is going to do a way better job. Um, but when I was able to, you know, let the CEO of the company know that, hey you know, if we hadn't done this, this work, you know, this is how much it would have costed in, in Dev resources. So I'm thinking of one specific uh, project. We were, um, they were rethinking, or sorry, re- getting ready to redesign the ent- like an entire um, module of, of this product for, for lack of a better way of, of describing it. Um, and they were gonna go in and do it the way that they normally did it. It's just like, you know, get some engineers in a room, designers just kind of hack it out, like do the Tetris, like where do things fit best, yada, yada, whatever. Um, and then I was just like, but wait, let's actually go learn what customers want. And so we, we you know, took a team and actually learned what customers wanted and what we were building and the direction we were headed was absolutely the wrong thing to do. And so when we calculated out, I mean, it was like $500,000 of development hours and time that it would have taken to actually deliver on. And that's like the low ball estimate, um, but that's what it would have taken to deliver this. And you know, we spent, I don't know, like a couple thousand dollars just going out, talking to customers, doing research and doing iterative right design. Um, you know, with, with these customers. And so, you know, we were able to get to a better result. And it's just like, guys, look, we just saved you, you know, like $495,000 um, and and delivered, you know, this product or this feature um, that customers actually want, and they're actually going to use. So for me, it's, it's been more about not just saying like, Hey, I have the prettiest pictures or the best interaction patterns, but it's just like, this is how much money I've saved you. This is how much money I've made you. This is how I've reduced call center calls or, or whatever those things are like, this is how I'm impacting the bottom line of the business. And to me, that's what makes the the biggest difference. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for beautiful design, beautiful, functional design. Um, you know, but if you can show how you're saving us money or, you know, carving hours off the development cycle or whatever that thing is, whatever the business values, if you can show me how you're impacting that. Like to me, that's where that's where the rubber really meets the road. It's just like, wait a minute, I want to hear more of your ideas because you're a thinker and you're figuring these things out and you're doing it in a way that is very quickly accessible and attainable for us to understand from the business perspective.
0: Yeah, so it's it's being able to tie your work to the the trade-offs, right? And clearly articulate it.
1: Yeah, for that sure. lifts
0: up. That definitely lifts up your stock price. Mm-hmm. You know, do you think that like a good design system and good usability and basically like just good UX, good user experience, uh, beautiful UI? I'm I'm listing all these craft features. Like, is it getting to a point in the industry that that's just table stakes now? Or is that still it... a, or is that still a competitive advantage? If I,
1: I... 100% it's still a competitive advantage. Like, I'm, I'm reading a report by Forrester right now um, about the business value of, of design um, and the business impact of design. And, and it's, it's like you see all these big companies, you know, some big companies that are doing it and doing it well. Like, I mean, of course, you know, the Airbnbs of the world, um, you know, they're, they're making it table stakes. But when you get down, so I feel like there's always a leader and then people will just follow. Just like, oh yeah, people using curve buttons now because Airbnb does it. Okay, awesome, we're gonna use curb buttons now. And so it just kind of trickles down. And I feel like there's a lot of copycatting versus actually really going out and doing the, the research in-house to, to get to the insight that your business needs specifically. So, I mean, beautiful design, I would say, yeah, you know that's getting to a place where, where it is table stakes, but there's still so much work to be done. Um, you know, I I'm not going to say that we've arrived cuz there's still a bunch of products in my life that I'm like, "Oh my god, who designed this?" <laughs> you know, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, there's um I'm starting to see in job interviews mm-hmm. that um definitely hiring for UX like headcount has gone mm-hmm. up
1: across mm-hmm. companies.
0: Mm-hmm. So there's definitely like headcounts increasing in companies. Mm-hmm. Good. That's good. Good mm-hmm. sign. Um in that over the next few years, that means a lot of, as headcounts go up, design systems need to be built in all these companies. Actually, I, like, I anticipate, um, with like this increase in like headcounts where it's not like one designer per company anymore. Like they've actually, and I think Marty Kagan's really helped with this, that like table stakes to even work on a product is you need to have a product manager, a tech lead, and a designer focused on that product. If you cannot resource that, we're not going to work on that initiative. I like talked to this uh, this uh, CTO guy, Um, and uh, I was just talking to him about like, okay, like, are you concerned? Like, how do you how do you make sure that you protect your your design resource because they might have like one designer. And he just said that like, yeah, if like if the business wants like, hey, like we want to work on this initiative, we see this big like business opportunity to break into another product space. I just tell them. Okay, well I need a product manager, a tech lead, and a product designer. We're not splitting the time of our designer to work mm. on this other thing. Yeah. Now I love that. It's it it's just putting like like a minimum buy-in. It's almost like you have to get like a 20% down payment on your house if you want to have if you want to buy the house, you got to put money down. Well, it's almost like treating like a product like you need to put like money down right and have like a minimum investment. But yeah, I anticipate that eventually design systems and it might take a decade or 15 years they'll become table stakes. Like it, JB even talked about that too. He's like I anticipate that like the future design is there every the, all the visual design is going to be centralized in an organization and then the rest of the designers are just moving legos.
1: <laughs> mm, yeah. And
0: stuff. That's how I see it going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and honestly, I, you know, when I look at, so I think it depends on a couple different things. Number one, the industry. Um, So banking is super highly regulated. Um, So, you know, when, when we like we have to pass everything through legal and, and, and all of these different things. And so, you know, moving parts are a great idea, Um, it, it would take some time to make that the norm though. Mm -hmm. Um, but like if you're in a, like an agency that works with a banking, uh, a bank or what have you, then yeah, then I can definitely see those, those moving parts and pieces happening. And then there's something to be said for being an expert and, you know, being an SME in, in, in different areas. So for example, if, you know, if we have a design team that's working on, you know, medical software or medical tools or, or whatever, um, I want them to stay the same. Like y'all can kind of move around and, and percolate around each other, but like I need the team, like I need that depth of expertise to be there. Um, but like when you think of the agency model and different, like, yeah, for sure. Like everybody can kind of float around in, in, in those types of, of, of places and areas. But I am, you know, I, I don't profess to have a crystal ball, um, but I can definitely see where, you know, design systems or just like, hey, this is a way of designing. Um, I can see where that would be definitely table stakes for larger companies or companies that are more focused on design. Um, But I am curious to see, like, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, some, some awful websites that I've seen and and (laughs) how I just don't see them doing it. Like Mm -hmm. I just see, I just see them like, Hey, you know what, whatever, we got this website over here. It works that uh, whatever. Like for example, I'm thinking of, um, like, you know, like municipal billing systems. Mm. They could care less. They just want your money. You want your trash picked up, give us your money. And I don't see them putting forth any heavy, heavy resources. Now, will they take a design system off the shelf and, and leverage that? Like they could. Absolutely. But, um, you know, when I, look at, um, when I look at, you know, like municipal, like municipal billing is the one that always comes first. Like, oh my God, my power company, huh. They just did a whole redesign and it's horrible i'm like i could never log in i'm like do you want your money or not um and so i tried to set up automatic billing and they and what they did was they changed the back end system so before i would log in with like username and password and now they're like we want your account number and a password i'm like well i don't remember my account number so whole long story short um i was never able to get up automatic billing like I, i just i can't figure out how to set it up so now i'm forced every month. And I'm usually late because I forget because everything else is automated except for my power bill. I don't Mm. understand it. Um, but yeah, I would love, but you can tell they did, they did some redesign. So all their buttons match and, you know, all these little things are in order now, but the experience is horrible. And so I would love for them to get to a design system, but it's just like, how do we make it where it's common sense, how things should work? You know, I think it's great if everything, like if your buttons match woohoo! like that, to me, that's just that's bottom line stuff. Yeah, But how do we make it to where these things actually freaking make sense, I think is, is, is where, um, you know, where I'd love to see a lot more effort put forth and then last thing on that. So I feel like, you know, I was, I forget who I was talking to, somebody that wasn't in design at all. And they're like, oh yeah, blah, 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 the user experience. I'm like, what? (laughs) So that word is table stakes. Like that, that phrase is table stakes now. So people think like, oh, the user experience is this and, and, oh, this is a wireframe. I'm like, no, this is the final design. What do you mean? So it's just like the language of, of, of what we do has kind of made its way into the mainstream and it's still being misused. So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of work like I said still to be done um, but it's you know design systems I mean whatever like I can build one in sketch Like
0: mm-hmm. it,
1: it, it it's not to me it's it's not where the where the uh, where the focus should be because you can I mean you can go to any sort of sketch library and just pull down a whole entire you know, design system. Uh, it might not have everything that you need, but it's like, you still need humans to, to place like, Hey, this is how this should work
0: mm-hmm. to make
1: it sense. These are the, these are the jobs our users are trying to get done, et cetera, et cetera. Sorry. Get off my soapbox.
0: Yeah, that's, that's, um, I think that will never become table stakes. I think executing the actual like laws of like how the product should behave and perform. Mm-hmm is always gonna be like a big, strategic, highly valued role, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, uh, going going to your comment about how um, user experience is just kind of thrown around very casually. Um, Yeah, like, oh, here are the UX screens. Like, Mm -hmm. we have to like preface the word (laughs) screen. You could just say screens, by the way. Like, um, you don't need to say. (laughs) um, But uh, yeah, is that a big part of your job as a VP uh, to, Um, establish like healthy boundaries because when you throw around like the word user experience very casually then that Mm -hmm. means that they are also treating your job very casually as well Um, and that means that they're going to assume that like everything you do is easy um, Mm -hmm. because they understand obviously I I love UX you know that's like what they'll say is like oh we love UX UX. UX is the best but then and then they're like but then if you actually like come up with like a radical idea they're like ah, oh, well we need to get this out like next month like do you think we could sacrifice a little bit on the UX you know like when it comes down to the wire when it comes to the wire UX isn't that important anymore like is that a big part of your job as a VP is like setting up the healthy boundaries I, honestly, um, honestly,
1: not not really not not at Chase. I, I feel like you know yeah. here people get it. Like they, I mean, Chase is a billion years old, not yeah. quite, but <laughs> they've been around for a while, so they've gone through this whole transformation. Um, you know, and and you know, I feel like it, it's not really necessarily part of my job to be like a, an evangelist. Like I think they get it. Like, there's not anything that they're just like, oh, well, why do we need this? I think, you know, for me, what I'm trying to evangelize right now is, is actually measurement. Like, we need to know how we affect the bottom line. Give us the data. Um, and so it's, it's more, you know, fighting that good fight. Because, I mean, when you get to such a large org, everything is so specialized every single person is so specialized in what they do and in their sphere of influence. Um, and so it's, it's, it's more trying to break down those barriers and walls. But I mean, as far as UX, like, I, you know, I feel like chase gets it, um, you know, what it shows in our, you know, JD power scores. Like we, we get it. We know there's a user on the other end. And quite frankly, we have, you know, full stack design teams. Like we've got, Folks that do strategy, we've got folks that do visual design, interaction design, motion design. We have a whole entire team that's just focused on um, the design system. Um, so, so I don't think here it's an issue. Now, I will say that other companies that I've worked at, it, it's been an issue. It's been like, oh, well, you guys just make the pretty pictures. Here is a requirement, like push the pixels and make it happen. Um, And so it, it, you know, in those cases, then yes, it is really, really incumbent on, you know, whoever the design leader is to say like, actually the value that we add is and be able to, to 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 list those things you know because it's gonna be different for every organization of value that the design team brings so so yeah and I think it's going to depend largely on the organization that you're in um and and how they view and perceive design because there's always going to be one person that's completely clueless isn't the right word but it's they're, they're just going to mismanage mm-hmm. the the words and the terms it's, it's always going to happen you know they think yeah that, you know, if it's a sketch file and it's a wireframe and it's just like, no, that is not a wireframe. That is not at all a wireframe. Um, but that's just, you know, somewhere along the line, they pick it up. But I mean, I think when it comes down to it, you know, they get the value that we bring. So it's not, it's not really a battle that I have to fight here.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, this has been a really good conversation. Um, and I wish we had more time to <laughs> cuz i think yeah it's it's definitely like hard to like ask like okay well like how do you um establish like healthy boundaries and then it's like well i work at i work at like uber i work at like airbnb it's great like some people <laughs> and there's some designers that they start their career there and they don't know any better and it's like oh,
1: yeah. it's like they're uh, like oh holy. yeah it's just
0: really good here and yeah, uh, everything's
1: perfect. Yeah. 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 Well, I That's think interesting.
0: in your, and based off your experience though, like what, if you're ever put in those situations where you're being held to um, a very like low quality of work, like what, what, what has been the best way to say no without saying no? <laughs> uh,
1: so I think, you know, for me, it's, it's like, let's understand why before we say no. Like, Hey, what are we trying to do here? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? And that to me just kind of, you know, gets you a lot further than just having like a big, like, no, not doing it. Um, you know, she's like, let's, let's understand why, let's understand where we're coming from. And I, you know, I do pride myself on building, you know, good relationships and strong networks. Um, you know, there's people that I've worked with that have just been grouchy grumpy or whatever. And, you know, you just got to figure out like, okay, how do I get in with this person? And then once you do, it's just like, okay, they're going to keep everybody else at arm's length distance, but they'll let me in because I took the time to build a relationship and understand their perspective. So, you know, I think that's how you say no or not now or maybe later, or how about, you know, like how do we improvise together? Um, Cause yeah, I found saying no, depending on the context and and what's going on, it it can be more of a detriment than it can be a, a, a a blessing to you for lack of a better way of putting that.
0: Yeah, for sure. So it's more about understanding like what, what their agenda is and then Mm -hmm. helping them get towards their agenda while doing the job
1: right. Exactly. Cause I think, you know, when it's all said and done, nobody wants to go out and do a bad job. I mean, for the most part, like I just, I'm, I'm just an optimist like that. That is, (laughs) that is my hope. Um, and so, you know, a a lot of times having that conversation can just save us all, um, you know, some heartache and, and, and get us to a better place, you know?
0: All right. Final question. Um, you have a very broad range of experience in your career. Um, if you were, if you had a, a time machine, what would you go back and change or like what, what, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, and you can't say you wouldn't change anything because if you had a time machine, you probably would try something. Oh my God. <laughs> you would you,
1: change everything. Okay. No <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. Like what, what would you change? You know, I, I probably would have gotten into design a lot sooner. Um, cause I'll tell you when I was graduating high school, you know, and I was just like, Oh, I wanted, I wanted to be an interior designer that it was my dream job. It's like, Oh my gosh, to be an interior decorator. Like I used to get architectural digest. Like I would get all these design magazines. Um, you know, I would just like, just cause I, I loved it. I love spaces and, and buildings and, and how they're put together. And then the design of it, like making the aesthetic, you know, beautiful or pleasing or relaxing or energizing, whatever those things are. It's like your design. So I've always wanted to be a designer. I just did not know that designers could have, um, could, could make a living doing design, number one. So I would have said, look into design a lot sooner. Now, I still do appreciate my technical background because I, I believe that that gave me a lot of skills to talk to different people and different different types of folks. Um, but I would say definitely get into design earlier. And then number two would be, you know become more intentional about shaping your career. You know, when I graduated from college, it was just like, get a job. I got to get money. I need insurance that, you know, whatever those things are. And it's just like, wow, like I could have actually spent a little bit more time being intentional about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. So, so yeah, those two things, time machines. God, if you ever come up with one, let me know. I'll be first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no, that's a really good answer. I think, uh, being very intentional about your career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've met designers that they're like they're really just. I mean, they they work in UX and they're mm-hmm. but they're really graphic designers and they're just mm-hmm. like, oh, why do you go into UX? Oh, it pays more than graphic design, and yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, okay, fair enough, but yeah. you know, they're not. They're, it's definitely not like their passion, and I think right. you can't. And I think you can make great money mm-hmm. in any field. And in any specialty, you know, Mm -hmm. some people want to go into management and design because they think that's how you make more money. But like we said, it's all about your stock price. Like if you could show that you're, you're leveraging, you know, your work and show that like you're being strategic about how you're doing your job, you get to like design how your job works. Right. Um, Because if you want to do more strategic work, do more strategic work. I mean, you could be in at a company and they expect you to make wireframes, but eventually uh, your job evolves into more of a like advisor role over like how we, the they architect the back end systems right um and it's totally possible everything's negotiable um sable um thank you so much for coming on the show um is there anything else that is on your mind before we sign off
1: no, no, I appreciate you having me. Thank you, and, and best of luck with the rest of this. This is—it's really good to just kind of have these conversations because it helps recenter you on what you like, what your, you know, what your goals are and your values and stuff. So appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, listeners! Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Way of Product Design. If this episode resonated with you. Please share it with your network and write a couple lines on why you found it useful. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help the show grow, please leave a review on Apple or Google's podcast platforms. As always, thanks for listening. You have a good one.